Uh, yeah, I was excited to get that call. Uh, my coaches really helped out and uh, and uh, made that happen, so, so I'm appreciative of it. Carson Rocaforte of Louisiana Lafayette brings us into this week's episode. One of ten players that's uh-huh. from the Sunbelt Conference that's going to be playing in the Cape Cod League. And we're here. Yeah. Ready for the Sunbelt Conference baseball tournament beginning Tuesday. Absolutely. Your ULM Warhawks what? facing off against uh, Georgia State there, Jeremy. But, all right. I, I just want to say officially to you, Tibbs, congratulations. Arkansas State needed a sweep of the Warhawks to get in, plus a lot of help from Georgia Southern to beat UTA. Georgia Southern gave us that help. Arkansas State responded to the challenge by getting swept by ULM. So congratulations. You get the privilege of facing a a pretty up and down Georgia State Panthers team. There's a good chance, Dusty, with you guys riding high that you get out of that first round. I'm stretching and and waiting on the call to go to Montgomery. (laughs) Really? Okay. Do you have some eligibility left? Can you maybe uh, do a little bit of relief pitching if, if called upon? Do you have that? A left-handed knuckleball junk baller, yeah. I'm, I'm there. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure that they could probably find a place for you on that roster. I know that ULM Warhawks, I believe winners, did they did they win double digits in conference? Did they, did they make it to it? Of course. All right. So that's pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased for you. Well, thank I'm you. I'm very happy. You know what else I know you're happy about? No. We have a new leg oh. of the trio of the show okay he's been on the show before as a guest and, and yeah. jeremy you didn't do your job and locked the door behind you and so he snuck back in yeah i got it i got you like that i got a word records shane metlin is joining us now he covers james madison so we keep yeah. getting that eastern division views and he'll also have some other people from the daily news record joining us as well throughout the the upcoming season to give us the perspective of the East as well as James Madison. So we welcome you in there, Shane. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Should be, I'll try to make it fun. I'll try to make it good. I don't, I don't know if I can live up to the uh, previous standards here, but I'll do my best. What we need you to do, Shane, is tell us what the hell's going on with old dominion. Cause Tibbs and I know nothing about old dominion, no matter how hard we try. Thibodeau, how often have we tried to get somebody from old dominion on this show? I'm not going to lie and say hourly. I've kind of quit because uh, I feel defeated in trying to find uh, somebody to come in and represent the Monarchs. And so, yeah, it, it's uh, no longer high on my list. You know, the Monarchs have come in third in the Conference USA standings. Very good baseball program. I would love to talk about the Monarchs, talk a little bit about the baseball program, but we're not going to get that. Instead, we got Shane here. Who's maybe going to tell us a little bit about uh, James Madison baseball? There's not as much to talk about with James what? Madison baseball as ODU. Like, but, you know, they just wrapped up their season. JMU did. Uh, <clears throat> they don't get to play in a conference tournament this year. Ouch. Um, yeah. And yeah, <clears throat> Dustin and I were talking before we started recording. Yeah. Injuries kind of derailed things for them. They, they ended up with a winning record, kind of, you know, middle of the pack and the in the CAA, it was somewhat disappointing season for them. They had um, top prospect, top pro prospect named Chase DeLauder, who started the season as maybe considered one of the top college prospects out there, maybe going to be one of the top one or two college guys drafted. He gets hurt midway through the year, uh-huh. doesn't get that many at-bats. His stock's dropping a little bit. He's probably going to be more like a late first-rounder now, depending on you know where things go here in the next month or so. And, um, so yeah, it just uneventful might be the way to uh, describe JMU baseball right now because they're just kind of existing. They're not bad, not good, kind of kind of a little bit in between, and they got they've got to step things up to move to the Sun Belt. I think. Well, Tibbs and Shane, that's a g- interesting segue into a a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is is what a program has to do moving forward to get into that inner orbit. Baseball, because right now in the Sun Belt, Sun Belt is a good baseball conference. It's about to become, Tibbs, a tremendous baseball conference. 
And there's teams out there that can either do that, one of two things. They can either can kind of continue doing what they're doing and being a punching bag for guys like Coastal and Louisiana and South Alabama and, and, and Texas State, or we can take on this role as being this sort of top to bottom great baseball conference. This afternoon, I put out an article from Hal Razor talking about how dismal Arkansas State's baseball season was. It was. We're last in a lot of categories. But the way to rebuild it is not necessarily, and JMU might be able to glom on this. When you're talking to boosters, when you're talking to deep pockets, what you're saying is you're about to enter a conference, guys, that's going to be a top-tier, nationally recognized baseball conference. And you've got a choice. You can represent a conference that's constantly put in the body bag, or you can have a conference that can take part of these, I don't know, opportunities to gain national recognition. And I think that's the way you raise money for your programs. If you have a program that's lagging behind a bit in, uh, in terms of uh, program building facilities, recruiting, that bit. Dusty, back me up on this. Jeremy, you just sound bitter because your Red Wolves had a horrible, horrible season. But l- let me ask you this, in, in all reality, would it have been considered a successful season if you were sitting where I'm sitting uh-huh. and headed to Montgomery as the 10 seed? Is that a successful season? Or is it that you're already in that uh, first round bye in the double elimination portion? Is it yeah. that you're hoisting a trophy next Sunday? What is the definition of your success? Well, the definition of success right now for Red Wolves baseball is simply to have more wins than losses. And you look at that and go, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Quite frankly, it's been since 2014, since Arkansas State has had a winning conference record. And that's kind of crazy. That is a long-ass time not to be plus 500 for conference wins. That's kind of crazy. And if you look back at the history of Arkansas State in the last 17 years, I think maybe there's been five years where the Red Wolves have posted a, a, a positive conference record. And to me, in the South, especially, where baseball can play, be played year-round, there's not really much excuse for that. You should be able to build a program. So, yes. But only, I, five te- only five teams had that criteria there, Jeremy. Only five teams were more wins than losses in Sunbelt Conference action. Well, yeah, but now we're about to receive some an influx of teams that's only going to add to that, Tibbs. I mean, what was, for the Warhawks, for instance, what was the measure of success? The Warhawks haven't been very good in the past few years either. I mean, are you satisfied just eking into the tournament? Was that a, is that a, a measure of success for you? Or are you just looking at that like, oh, well, we were just not quite as sucky as some of the others? I think it's that, uh, in the words of Joe Madden, try not to suck today. They didn't suck today. (laughs) Absolutely. Shane, I know that baseball is probably like, I don't know where where baseball falls in the the JMU universe, to tell you the truth. But apparently you have some great guys on the team. What does success look to you or JMU entering the 2023 season? Well, I think it's going to be kind of a year feeling it out for JMU just as far as playing in a tougher conference and maybe not knowing what to expect. I I think they went into this season in the CAA thinking they should finish, you know, in the top one or two in the league. Um, you know, I think they were thinking 30 to 35 wins. They wound up with 27. They had a ton of injuries in the last couple months of the season. Um, so it was, it was kind of disappointing in that regard. And I mean, I think the big thing we're going to see here in the next week or so, it'll be interesting to see if they make a coaching change at JMU for baseball. Um, I think the fans base as a whole would probably say it's time to make a coaching change. Marlon Eikenberry been there for a few years. They've, they've been down. They haven't, um, haven't really made a dent in the CAA standings. Uh, since he's been there, um, he would probably say, I've gathered some talent. I've had a lot of injuries. We were better this year than we were the last two years. Uh, it's time to, you know, make a commitment to this program moving into the Sun Belt. But 
So that's going to be the interesting thing to see for JMU baseball here in the next week or so. Uh, you know, maybe as early as tomorrow because their season's over. Uh, if they do make any kind of coaching change, um, <clears throat> he's been on a like they've just been rolling his contract over year by year here the last couple of years, and we're able to kind of use COVID as an excuse for that. But they're kind of getting to the point where they either have to commit long term to a coaching staff or make a change, and so that's that's where it stands with JMU right now, and it's not going to get any easier for them losing losing some of their better players, although they do have, I think, five guys in the lineup that are committed to coming back for a fifth year with their COVID year. So they should be a veteran team next year if they keep the coaching staff in place, which I'm sure is another thing that Marlon Eikenberry's saying is in his favor if they can keep the, keep keep the, him, staff, keep him in place, they can keep most of the team in place and hopefully keep improving. But it's it's they've kind of been in that purgatory lately where, like I said, they're not – they're not bad. They're not good either. Uh, you know, <clears throat> how much interest are you going to gather if you're like doing that every year? Yeah, absolutely. Because we're about to hit a stage where baseball is going to be a sort of must-see baseball in the Sun Belt. But speaking of must-see tips, let's stop talking about the losers like Arkansas State. <laughs> let's start talking about the winners. How's it shaping up here, Tibbs? Where do you see this shaking out? We've got some top teams up there. Some of them, like Louisiana, needing a good outing to secure a place in the field of 64. And then there's some, like Texas State, that no matter what they do, they'll probably be in it anyway, right? So who else out there needs to have a good showing to be in that field of 64? I think there's three teams that are locks right now to get into the NCAA regionals. <clears throat> Obviously, Texas State. At yeah. the top of the Sunbelt Conference standings, Georgia Southern. Yeah. And Coastal Carolina. I think Louisiana Lafayette, by all indicators, is just on the outside looking in. I don't know how many wins that takes for them to make that leap inside. you got to assume, though, that they have to at least make it to a championship game appearance in order to do that. Although, depending on who they beat along the way there, could bump one of those other teams out, and we still only see three Sunbelt Conference teams in the postseason. That could happen. You know, Louisiana gets a pretty tough seed. They open up with South Alabama, and that's that's kind of tough. You know, South Alabama, that's my sort of my second team, you know, when it's not the Red Wolves. So I, I feel like South Alabama could very well. That's a, a match of four and five seeds. That's pretty tough. That's a tough road to hope. But I think if Louisiana gets by South Alabama, and gets into that sort of maybe championship four, I feel like they have a good chance of getting into the field of 64, especially given the, the, the sort of reputation that they have. I feel like they can get it. I'm interested also to see kind of how Little Rock and App State goes in that other single elimination Ooh. game there on a Tuesday night. Yeah. Does Little Rock try to go out making noise? in the conference tournament or do they just kind of go to the motions and app state rolls on with that? You know, Little Rock has been a funky team. You know, they get beat by programs that they should beat and then they beat programs that they shouldn't be. I really don't understand anything about Little Rock, but Appalachian state always seems to play at least this year in baseball on pure emotion and grit. It's like, I don't know what kind of talent they have. I don't know where where they belong in the in the universe of college baseball, but it seemed like they were destined to at least make the tournament. UA Little Rock to me is a team that probably has more talent, and I think like they should get further than Appalachian State. But every time I count out Appalachian State, they make me look like a fool. So I'm not even prepared. What do you think, Tibbs? What do you think happens in that matchup? Uh, I don't think it really matters because depending on what happens, the lowest or the highest remaining seed will get to face Texas State. Yeah. I don't see anybody that can beat Texas State out of those four possible teams. I think I read where Texas State has won 15 straight conference games. Does that sound uh, right to you? 10 straight. 10 straight. Okay. That's a lot. That's that is tough. a lot. <laughs> and, and you got to wonder, have they peaked? I don't think they have. I think no. they're still one of the best teams in the nation and definitely in the Sunbelt Conference. 
And I don't know if they're necessarily just going to buzz their way through the conference tournament, but I see them being there playing for a trophy on Sunday. You know what's funny is that you had all that great stuff to say about Texas State, all that nice stuff to say about the Bobcats, and still today on Twitter we were accused of not giving Texas State the respect they deserve. Did you see that today? I did, and you know what I, I said about that? What's that? That's nice. I remember being in San Marcos. Were you there? By the way, Shane, I don't know if you know this. You being new to the crew and all. But but Dusty is a sort of honorary Bobcat. You know, he lives nearby. He pops by San Marcos any chance he can get. He gets VIP treatment when he shows up. He hangs out with the, the athletic director and the chancellor and some of the celebrity guests that they have at the Bobcats. And Dusty always has a good time. So we, all, we always try to say a good word about the Bobcats, but it's never enough, Dusty. <laughs> it's never enough. Unappreciative. So welcome to this. Do some more. Just welcome to this volatile environment that is the Sun Belt, Shane. Shane, you think you're going to come in and everybody's going to be nice. Oh, they're going to be nice to you for a while. But you just win a few games, buddy, and the target will be on your behind. With that said, though, we are 40 days uh-huh. until JMU, ODU, Southern Miss, and Marshall are officially in the league. Yeah. That's going to be pretty cool. Do you, have, do, you, do you have that marked on your calendar, Jeremy? I, I do, like on the calendar that's like inside my head, not like a phys- physical calendar. But does that coincide kind of like when, when uh, Coastal Carolina came into the league, when they won the championship in baseball, and then the next day they were in? So what if Southern Miss does the same thing? What I'd be okay Southern- with that. Other than us having to hear about how great Conference USA is and that, you know, look, look at what they did before they left, and they'll never do that in the Sun Belt. Other than those limited discussions that would pop up, yeah, I'm okay with Southern Miss lifting the big trophy in Omaha. I am absolutely happy with that, too. One, because it's a group of five program. And I love seeing that over, say, somebody from uh, the Pacific or, uh, or some Pacific. What, what am I thinking of? The Pac-12 or from the Big Ten or from the SEC winning it. I get tired of seeing those guys winning it. I'd rather see somebody. I would much rather see Conference USA or even the MAC hoist that trophy anytime than say somebody from them. And then the have it be Southern Miss, somebody who's coming into the conference, that's just more juice for us, right? I'm definitely supportive of the Southern Miss, not necessarily the Conference USA portion of that, just for full disclosure. <laughs> I'm trying. Listen, I'm trying. I I know that we have some, we've butted head with Conference USA before. But let's face it, we've won this war, Tibbs. We can be we can be good victors. No, not <laughs> not at all. It, it's a true battle, and uh, we're going to kick them while they're down, and then jump up on the top rope. Uh huh. Elbows first. So Shane, when it's official and all the new guys get into the Sun Belt, look, tell me, are there parades planned? Is there like a key to the city being offered to Commissioner Gill? Will there be will there be commemorative medals? Maybe a commemorative coin? What's JMU doing to celebrate this momentous occasion? I don't know exactly what happens on July 1st, but uh, it, it is interesting. Just yesterday, um, I don't know exactly how this happened. It must have been somebody on a rooftop or something got a photo of into the football stadium where they were painting the Sunbelt logos onto the turf. And that uh, was, that, that went wild. Like that blew up. And um, yeah, so that was, <laughs> that was the big celebration yesterday when um, people saw that. And I, actually that was one of the, the biggest questions I've gotten. Most common questions I've gotten for the past six months was when are they going to take the CAA logos off the field, put the Sunbelt logos on? When are they going to change the basketball court? When, when are the banners going to come down? Like that question came up over and over again. So when they saw those logos going onto the football field, that actually was like big, at least online, that was a big celebration for uh, the JMU fans yesterday. Well, that, that's a good representation of, of, of the transition, right? 
I mean, that's like, that's what makes it real. It's like when you wake up with the wedding ring on your hand, that means that, that the, there's no going back when you start stripping off the old logos and painting on the new logos. That's going to be, that's, that's, that's actually, that's when everything is real. But Tim, mm -hmm. I have a question for you that might be more, well, actually Shane could answer it too. I can't answer it because I'm kind of dumb. Is football the first sport that officially becomes a Sunbelt sport? Is it football and volleyball and uh, whatever comes uh, at the beginning of, of uh, uh, fall? Is that it? There's nothing that precedes it like some weird uh, beach volleyball thing or anything like that, right? It's football, right? I would have to check the schedule. I mean, I think sometimes volleyball or cross country or <laughs> golf yeah. might, might start late August when football starts in September. I don't, I'll have to double check, but we it, it'll, be, it'll be one of those. Like, and I mean, we'll, we'll be honest too. Nobody's really paying attention until football starts. That's when, that's when the school year starts for most people is that first football weekend. Like, you know, you move in, you have some parties, you go to some classes, but college life on campus begins the first football weekend doesn't it i mean that's that's when school begins really for a lot of people right i think you're absolutely right on that shane even if and it this were year higher. yeah uh -huh. this year jeremy yeah 103 days away we get our first taste of sunbelt conference football friday september 2nd virginia tech travels to odu and the army invades conway south carolina I didn't Those even realize that was a Friday night game for ODU. You know, you know what's interesting about that? Um, <clears throat> ODU season tickets are up huge this year compared to their previous years. What they've got going on is if you buy season tickets for $150, $200, you get tickets to that Virginia Tech game. Single game tickets for Virginia Tech are going for 400 bucks on StubHub right now. So people are buying their season tickets for one game. It's, it's uh, – <laughs> that's going to be pretty insane atmosphere down there. I know you, you need me to talk about ODU we represent the whole state of Virginia. That, that's what's going on in Norfolk right now is. Uh, Let me tell you something. Are... That is the first real inside information we have obtained about ODU since we've started the show. Tibbs, we should have a gong for this. When we do post-production, <laughs> when Shane talks about ODU, there should be a boom. I'll just make sure his volume is turned up really loud so everyone can hear. <laughs> We've got an ODU fact to share. Yeah. It's the ODU thing is going to be so interesting because JMU and ODU were so aligned in the whole conference realignment thing. They were allies and getting to the same spot. But generally speaking, they hate each other. So like once they're actually competing again, that's going to be the interesting thing. It's like, how quickly that alliance and that brotherhood of getting together in the, in the Sun Belt, how quickly that goes away. And um, the old going back, you know, decades into the CAA, how quickly the old rivalry comes back and any bitterness may come back after, uh, after working together for a few years to make this happen. Oh no, the bitterness will come immediately. Shane. <laughs> There's no goodwill in the Sun Belt. It's all hatred. Speaking of hatred, actually not speaking of hatred. Dusty, let's instead, the complete opposite, let's talk about love. What do you I love, love Dusty? Yes. Dusty, I was trying to soft launch into that. You launched straight into it. But yes, we love our next guest. He's one of our first guests. One of the first guests that ever graced Thunbelt Podcast. He's come back because why? We're approaching June content. And we need quality Jude content to get us through the summer. The guy who's going to help us through that transition, the guy who knows everything about college football, elite or just college sports in general, Chris Vanini of The Athletic. Chris, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here, guys. Apologies if my voice is a little hoarse. I lost it during the Manchester City game uh, this morning. <laughs> when they came back doing the championship. So my, my throat's been a little dry all day now. Wait, all day you've been suffering from this. How monumental was this game that caused this sort of physical change in you? 
Well, I, if for anybody who wasn't paying attention, uh, they came back from a 2-0 deficit in the final yeah. 15 minutes, scored three goals in five minutes to win the Premier League Championship. It was a, a almost copy of them uh, scoring two goals at the end to win the championship of 2012. So it was like a redux of the 2012 championship <laughs> 10 years later. And I went nuts. My dogs got scared. And my <laughs> voice has been my voice has been feeling it all day. Is that the most excited you've been about any football or football game in a while? I'm trying to think. The last one might have been – probably would have been the, the Michigan State trouble with the snap game at Michigan. I was at that game. So that's probably the last time there was a feeling like this. Well, thoughts and prayers go out to your voice because we need your insight tonight. We need every bit of Chris Fanini we can get. Now, if you start fading and, and, and falling away, we, we implore you, take some juice, eat some vitamins, because we have a full slate of questions to ask that only you can answer. I'm starting, down for it. <laughs> starting with this question. So recently you wrote about the sort of, uh, that the NCAA was recommending or saying you can relax some of your, 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 uh, your qualifications or restrictions into who gets into their conference tournaments. And that has resulted in people getting rid of divisions. Why are people moving away from divisions? Mostly because conferences have gotten too big where they don't play each other. You, you know, Texas A&M has been in the SEC for more than a decade. They've only played once. Georgia's never traveled there. And so, especially with the SEC going to 16 now, like you, you, you want to have, new opponents you want to freshen up those conference schedules the same way schools are freshening up non-conference schedules with with some bigger matchups so, so that's part of it the other part of it is you want to put your conference in the best position to make the playoff and if you have one versus two there's a pretty good chance that the the winner is going to get going to get in especially in an expanded playoff which is why the alliance is insistence on power five automatic bids was kind of pointless because they're never really going to be in a spot where they don't get it. Um, and, and, and so those are two, two of the big reasons to, to have fresh schedules, to have your best teams at the end that will help you in, in the playoff ultimately. Well, uh, obviously the playoff factor doesn't, doesn't weigh in too much for the group of five, the group of five just has to have miraculous things that have happened to be even put into that, to, uh, to that conversation. Uh, with Cincinnati being case in point, your article goes on to talk about how some of the uh, group of five conferences, some may be moving into no, no divisions, several aren't, including the Sun Belt. What, what did Keith Gill have to say about the Sun Belt and its divisions? The Sun Belt is not uh, getting rid of divisions. They're going to keep them. And, and you know, we, we knew this news was coming. I'd spent the last bit of time talking to various people throughout the group of five commissioners and whatnot to just kind of get a sense of what they were going to do. And Keith Gill said no, because geography was a big reason for expanding, adding James Madison and Old Dominion uh, and Marshall in the East and Southern Miss in the West. You want to have those games, your JMU Marshalls, your JMU App States or App State Marshalls, ODU, JMU, all those kinds of things. That's what. That's a big reason they expanded. They didn't lose anybody. They didn't need to make up for anybody they lost. They wanted to add teams. They wanted to add regional rivalries, which is what the Sun Belt has been doubling down on uh, to try to be a regional-based conference compared to the American, which is spreading out, always going for big markets and stuff like that. So uh, that was ultimately the, the main reason. I asked him if he thought it would could cost him a New Year's Six spot. Not necessarily a playoff spot, but a New Year's Six spot. And he said their analysis uh, says that it, it probably won't. If that changes, they could change. But uh, he did, they, they don't feel the need to. It's something everybody in the conference agreed to at conference meetings this week. So we really feel like the, the Sunbelt Conference is the G5 league out there. If we pretend and, and say Keith Gill says, yeah, we want to follow the SEC or the ACC, whatever, do away with divisions – do you feel that that just kind of dilutes the product and makes the Sun Belt just another league? You're saying if they get rid of divisions or just Correct. another league? No, I don't think so. Because, I mean, we, we saw the Mountain West uh, is getting rid of divisions. The Mountain West 
has a case to be the strongest group of five league post realignment. And they've opted to do it. They've opted to get rid of the divisions, feeling that it's best to pit the top two teams, no matter what, uh, against each other. You know, the way the Sunbelt was set up before, they had divisions, but everybody almost played everybody. You had 10 teams. You played eight conference games. You know, you, there was only one team you were missing every year. So essentially, it, it almost would have been, you know, if they were only at 10 teams, maybe they would have gotten rid of divisions for that reason, because they're already almost playing around Robin. And then that way you make sure it's one versus two in the championship game. Um, but, but, but this way, you know, they, they just, they really want to go for those rivalry games that they want to kind of help create. And it's, um, I, I, I get it. I, I, I understand what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to somebody from the mountain West, uh, why they were kind of positioning themselves to remove divisions. And, and my argument for divisions was that, um, uh, divisions actually create a, another layer, layer of rivalry. That's just mm-hmm. kind of interesting to me uh, in terms of like uh, for some for some reason, Sunbelt East and the Sunbelt West kind of have a rivalry with each other. You know, it, it's kind of funny because normally we wouldn't care if um, if uh, like, say, like Arkansas State not, not necessarily would care that Georgia State was having a good season or not. But it seemed like it was extra fun to know that and have that extra uh, Sunbelt West versus Sunbelt East sort of dynamic. Do you think that there's a chance that some of these smaller conferences can lose out on that? Or is that just like, no, man, this is the way of the future. It's the way it has to go. Well, the Mountain West is a little bit different too, because there are not a lot of regional rivalries. They are very spread out there. I think there are like eight different States across 12 teams outside of, yeah, outside of Colorado state, Wyoming, State Air Force, you're not making a lot of bus trips. Fresno, San Jose, probably. You're, you're not making a lot of bus trips. You're making a lot of plane trips anyway. So um, that was another reason uh, for it. They're still going to protect division, uh, protect rivalries. Those that I mentioned are probably going to be protected in, in some way based on uh, someone in the conference told me. Um, but th- that, that makes it a little bit different. You know, the MAC is another conference unlikely to get rid of divisions based on talking to people in that league. And uh, a big reason for it is to get, you got six teams in Ohio, you got three teams in Michigan, you know, you've got a lot of in-state robberies there that you want to kind of keep together. It's a bus league essentially. And, and that matters. And by expanding the Sunbelt made the East division a bit of a bus league, depending on where exactly you are. And so that's what they wanted to do. And, and so in terms of the robberies, it's kind of different just kind of how it works by conference. Mm-hmm. When you, you look at the MAC or the Sun Belt or these conferences, are they also kind of in a position where if their best team doesn't win the conference championship, it doesn't matter anyway? I mean, if, if it's, you know, is that kind of where they're looking at it at this point? Um, you know, if, if, they, if the best team gets upset in a championship game, it doesn't really matter if it's number one versus number two or east versus west or anything. Is that kind of how, the, how they're looking at it at this point? Uh, most likely, I mean, in most years, there's typically one really good team. But honestly, the Sun Belt the last few years has had a had a couple. I mean, you had Coastal, you had App, you had Louisiana. Uh, all the last two years have all, have all been in that New Year Six mix. And um, had they, you know, had Coastal and Louisiana played in 2020, and had Cincinnati been upset by Tulsa that year, maybe something else had maybe something else uh, happens. Um, so I, I, honestly, the last couple of years work against the Sun Belt in that factor because they have had two really good teams. But if, you know, if Louisiana is your top 25 team, East West, you kind of get in the same deal anyway, which is, I think, what they've had. So switching gears just a little bit, Chris, I noticed that you had a little bit of interest in the, um, in the NFL draft. And I saw that you wrote a little something about Jalen Tolbert. What uh, interested you about Jalen Tolbert and his entry into the NFL to the Dallas Cowboys? Well, we were assigned, everybody at the Athletic, we were assigned five to eight players to write pre-draft stories that once the second they got drafted, you know, we'd run the story. And, and, and Jalen Tolbert was, was one that I got from him. And I talked to uh, one of his former wide receiver coaches there at South Alabama. And something that really stuck out to me was that uh, – People wanted Jalen Tolbert to transfer uh, after last season, a- after 2020. Yeah, after 2020, when the one-time transfer goes through going into 2021, 
Uh, a lot of teams came after him, including an SEC team, is what his coach told me. But he wanted, you know, and, and with a coaching change, that's a lot of time when, when, when guys will transfer out. He, he could have gone to a place where he knew, you know, a, a school with a, an established coaching staff that does work with wide receivers. But he wanted to stay home in Mobile again and, and finish out his career there. And I think that impressed a lot of people uh, around him and, and probably around the Cowboys as well. His, his big playability really stands out. I think he led the league. I think he led the country in, in catches of like 50 plus yards or something like that last year. So he's definitely been a downfield threat. And I, I know that was really appealing. You know, all those catches came at the expense of Arkansas state. I remember every one of them quite handedly. So, so is there anything that you said that everybody had to cover at least somebody, uh, do you, uh, did you see anybody else get drafted from the Sun Belt that you find intriguing? Uh, I honestly, I didn't catch the, I didn't even catch day three of the draft. So what? I don't even know who was totally drafted. Something was going on that Saturday. I was jumping out. So you'd have to tell me who from the Sun Belt was drafted and I could, I could let you know. I honestly don't know. I'll type you out a list and then you can have it for later. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, past- I, I, yeah, I, I completely day three, I just, I think I went out and did something and I was like, I just wanted to kind of get away from football that weekend. And uh, let me, let, yeah. let me tell you something though about the Sun Belt, Chris, that is the big day for draft. In the I know. Sun well, it's the, it's the big day for everybody. You, you got the most players drafted. You got a yeah, ton. You got, you got four rounds. That That's when a lot of, uh, a lot of notable names. I just honestly don't know who they are. The Sunbelt had a lot of guys that were drafted there late, as you said, and signed the undrafted free agent. We had a, a sports agent on explaining to us how free agency works. When you have a guy like Jalen Talbert get drafted, though, what do you feel that that does to the league in order to help with the recruiting, to help with the perception of the league? Well, you know, the Sunbelt has really made a point to try to be – Hey, if you're not if you're not going to the SEC, you can stay close to home and, and come here. And I think the elevation of the league on the field with its teams. I mean, the league's only what twenty two years old in, in terms of a football conference. I mean, it's it's not that old. And so, the more this league has success on the field, top twenty five teams, primetime games, the more attention it gets. You know, you you get those you get those draft picks. Uh, if there's a really good kid in Alabama who doesn't get an Alabama or an Auburn offer, maybe he wants to go to Troy or, or something like that. I know that's what a lot of coaches in that league tried to do instead of maybe taking that big 12 offer or something like that, a, a way to stay closer to home. So this past week in college football, <laughs> there was no real discussion about football. It was more about oh uncle God. Nick and Jimbo Fisher having a little lover spat about semantics over collectives in IL. What are your thoughts on that and how that trickles down even here to the G5? I honestly don't think it's that big of a deal. I'm really kind of, I think we're all sick of hearing about it and talking about it. I, I mean, look, Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia and Texas a and are going to get the best players. That's it's it's the way it's always been. I, I, I mean, like you got a handful of you got a handful of differences, but all in all, not all that much is changing. Look, Jimbo always signs the top ten class, the top five class. Him getting number one is not out of the realm of possibility just based on his his history. And you know, Nick Saban wants to throw this fit and do all these things. He signed the number two class. Like, it's not like Alabama is hurting here. They, they, they got Georgia Tech's best running back in the, in the portal. They got all SEC linemen in the portal. They're never going to have roster holes again because of the transfer rule. The transfer rule, the one-time transfer, that is having a greater effect on college football than NIL is. But Alabama is going to be fine. Nick Saban is not the messenger to uh, – is, is not the guy to deliver that message. Just like Jimbo Fisher is not the guy to deliver the – hey, we didn't buy our players, whatever he wants to say type of deal. So I think get a lot of people kind of, even in coaching, just kind of rolling their eyes at the two of them. Look, we ate it all up. I liked it. It's a lot more fun than talking about bylaws at this time of the year. I'd much rather have coaches calling each other narcissists. That's a lot more fun. But the overall issue, I, I, I think, is really a bit blown out of proportion. 
So because because it, it's coming to that point where things are going to get dead, I know the baseball season is going to wrap up pretty soon with its conference championships and then with its uh, uh, NCAA tournament. And then it'll be a desert of, of ocean, an ocean of time that we have to cross before football kicks up again. What does the, uh, the athletic do in that time? Well, June is the big recruiting month. I mean, that's when you have all the camps. You know, you've had coaches on the road recruiting all this month. Next month, it's all the players going to the schools on the weekends. So, you you know, here in Dallas, SMU's having a mega camp one weekend, the same weekend that TCU's having a mega camp. So there's going to be like a ton of stuff going on. And that's that's where a lot of, I think, the beat writer coverage goes. For myself, that, that's a time to find out kind of more offbeat type stories, feature stories, stuff that's not time sensitive. I'm, I'm working on a story about James Madison moving into the Sun Belt and, and what they bring and kind of their history of success and stuff like that. Got a lot of plans for, for some other things I want to do that I've just kind of had on the docket for a while, but I just haven't been able to get to because there's news happening over and over and over again. So th- there's plenty of stuff to do. Football is football is a year-round sport now, it, it, co- coverage-wise. Like, it's, it's different than basketball. Nobody really cares about college basketball in the fall. Everybody's focused on football. People are focused on football all year round. Like you just said, it's mid-May, and I'm doing more radio. I'm doing as many radio hits this month as I am during the season, typically. Like, it's just there's always something that pops up at this point. Well, Chris, um, I, I think Shane has a question regarding JMU. But before you you move on to that, I have a, a, a programming suggestion, suggestion for you. I feel like you and, uh, and Nicole Auerbach have a great simpatico on Twitter. I think you guys should have a podcast, just just a weekly thing where you two just bounce ideas off each other and see where it heads. Tell me that's not a good idea. Well, she has a weekly podcast that's on the main athletic uh-huh. football Andy Staples show feed. It's called Power Hour. I'm on there every other week, every third week or so during the season. Uh, I don't think it's started back up yet. It'll probably be closer to the season when that happens. Uh, but we're, we're trying to do different things like, you know, like we, we have these things in the athletic, they're called live rooms are essentially Twitter spaces. Yeah. And uh, I, I did one with David Oven and a few other people uh, when the gym, but right after the Jimbo press conference. And so that's something we might do more of moving forward, even making it a weekly thing, almost like a live show, something like that. So, um, you know, with Nicole, I've, I've been on her podcast a lot. I'm probably going to continue to be moving forward. Uh, and uh, she's always great to work with. Just we're, just glad you, we're just glad you keep coming on the little show like the Fun Belt podcast. <laughs> yeah. And you don't need Andy Staples. You just get rid of that guy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's, it, he's, he's only doing like five podcast episodes a week or something like that. He's a machine. So, so the big freak out in Harrisonburg – this past week was Diamante Tucker going in Dorsey going into the uh, transfer portal this late in the process. I don't, I, you know, I've talked to people at JMU, but how much have you talked to coaches just around the group of five about seeing that happening so late in the year, as opposed to once they've gotten through spring ball in the past, they probably felt pretty good about where the roster stood. Is, is that a main concern for places, people, other places? Well, I talked to Diamante Tucker for my story um, about JMU. I'm probably not going to use it now because he's not yeah. going to be there. <laughs> I mean, it, but, it was uh, a shock, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, that's – it's kind of part of the process. Like, I, I mean, end of spring is also when coaches cut roster sizes and, and, and let guys go, essentially. And, and, and so it kind of goes mm-hmm. both ways. But it is weird with the one-time transfer rule, and it came up with Jordan Addison, the pit receiver who's going to USC. It said, like, you don't typically see that in the NFL. You don't, you don't have a guy go through OTAs and then just say, nah, I want to play on another team, and he goes, and he can just go there. But those NFL players are employees with, with collective bargaining agreements and stuff like that. So transfer windows are a thing that are getting a lot of momentum. Something I think the Transformation Committee, Division One Council, various committees are looking at. Could be like five weeks from the end of the season – and maybe five weeks post spring, I think, is when you have to jump in. You can you can join a school at any time. There, there will the idea is there'll be a period of time when you can leave. And the idea is so 
it's not 24 seven that everybody has to worry about losing kids or something like that. Mark Emmert's leaving the NCA post. If you're elected president, Chris, what's the first thing that you're tackling? I mean, I, I think you got to figure out a way to kind of collectively bargain with players. Not that they're not that they're necessarily employees, not that they're necessarily in a union, but everything's just kind of a mess right now. There's no regulations whatsoever. So if you find a way that you can work together with the players to come to an agreement on transfer windows or or just various issues just to get everybody at the table doing the same things together. Um, I think that's what a lot of people want to see. Just, just some, just some order kind of to this all players can, can make their money and do their thing. It's just like, it's, it's like the NFL right now with unlimited free agency and no salary caps and no salaries or transparency. And it's just, it's just all kind of a mess, I think. And it, it, it's better than it was for the players, but I think everybody would be better served to kind of have some order for this. So we know everything looks legit. Anyway, Chris, thanks for joining us on the show. I know that this was a real test for your voice and that you managed to get through this in flying colors. None of us are medical experts, but I think it's safe to say that you don't have monkeypox, that you're in good health, and that we're happy that you spent a little time or as, or as little or as, as much of your healthy time with us. Thank you so much. Absolutely, guys. Appreciate having me anytime. So we had another great conversation there with yeah. our favorite guest, Chris Vanini with The Athletic. Love talking to him. I hope he comes to New Orleans so that we can actually meet face to face and have one of these big powwows. That would be cool. It would be great. But until then, Jeremy, give me your plug, promo, parting shot. So this week, you know, listen, I run a blog about uh, the Sun Belt and about more particularly about the Red Wolves. And it gets to that time of year where the topics begin to dry up a little bit. And I was really surprised and delighted to find that something new has come up on the Internet that I hadn't seen before. It's something called Nuke Map. Have you seen this? I did see your article on Nuke Map. Yes, Shane. I don't know if you saw it. But what that, Nuke- yeah, your your blog's my introduction to that whole whole scene. There. <laughs> well, if our listeners haven't seen Nuke Map, Nuke Map essentially it, it was developed by some scientist or some researcher, and he sort of has this database of different atomic and nuclear devices. And then he he's sort of juxtapositions the the heat wet, heat damage, the the blast damage, the radioactive damage that can happen with each bomb, and you can place it on any city in the world. So what I what I did was I I blew up the Sun Belt just to determine what kind of damage you can do with some of these atomic bombs. And what was interesting to me was like the 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 atomic bomb that was used on Hiroshima eighty years ago. It's actually, it has very localized damage compared to the biggest bomb ever produced, which was produced in Russia. That has it's a hundred megatons, as opposed to I think the little boy was something like ten kilotons, and it's so big. If it were dropped on Jonesboro, Arkansas, you would see heat and blast damage in Memphis, which is about seventy miles away, which I found incredible and a little bit astonishing. And quite frankly, a little bit frightening. So if you want to see how some of the Sun Belt, and by the way, I didn't put James Madison in that shame because you guys aren't a member of the Sun Belt yet. Yeah, I'm gonna have to We're safe till July. <laughs> in July, when I really need this type of content, I can come back to it and blow up JMU. And that's my parting shot. Dibs, what's your parting shot? My parting shot, something we didn't even mention. And, okay. and for shame, Jeremy, for shame. Louisiana Lafayette yeah. won the Sunbelt Conference regular season tournament and actually had a pretty good showing there in the Clemson Regional, making it to Sunday before falling eight to nothing. Yeah. It was a one nothing game headed into the third. And then what happened? The wheels fell off the bus. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. But still a great season for the Raging Cages. They definitely represented the Sunbelt Conference well, and kudos to them. Greatly disappointed, Tibbs, 
that more Sunbelt teams weren't represented by that, that tournament. But it did way, come out. Texas State was in the first four out, though. So we were not far off with our prediction of having two teams. I really wanted two teams. Hell, I wanted 10 teams. It didn't happen. But congratulations to the Cajuns for, for representing the Sun Belt well. We know that when James Madison gets in, that the, the softball landscape for the Sun Belt will become even stronger. Shane, this is your first night as a 100% representative of Fun Belt Podcast. This is your first plugs, promos, and parting shots. What do you got? I'll just do the plug, and I'll tell people dnronline.com. You'll see a lot more Sun Belt content here going forward because we're completely done with the Colonial Athletic Association, and we're going to be a, <laughs> a, a Sunbelt publication for the most part going forward. So go check us out there. And really, Tibbs, our association with Shane has already been a 100% victory in that we finally got our first piece of inside information, not on James Madison, which we expected from Shane, but from ODU. He, he's, he's earning his money. I get some <laughs> ODU stuff from time to time, so yeah, it'll hopefully pay off <laughs> okay my name's jeremy harper from hal razor this is dusty thibodeau from warhawk report and joining us for the first time welcome to the show shane metlin from J- representing jmu thank you very much for being on the show shane shane what was your first impression of the show now that you're on the show you guys have fun and uh, i think it'll be it'll be a good time <laughs> all right so For the three of us, I say goodbye. Catch us next week when I'm sure we're going to have some spectacular guests trying to get some guys on. Hopefully get us through June and July. I think we can make it. Party or just what's the best way to sign off, Tibbs? Say something profound. Jeremy, you're special. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.